This episode is sponsored by Rustic Peach. Rustic Peach is a small business owned by self-proclaimed crunchy mom, Jessica Armstrong. They offer over 20 different items, including lip balms, body products, and luxury candles made with pure soy. All of their items are handmade in small batches by a certified aromatherapist using only sustainable and clean ingredients. All of their fragrances are free of phthalates and parabens. I have purchased tons of items from Jessica, and I seriously cannot say that I've had a single complaint. And the fact that everything is natural makes it 10 times better. I've actually got her flannel and fleece candle burning right now, and it is oh so good. While Rustic Peach was originally based out of Covington, Georgia, they recently made a move to Minnesota. As you can imagine, packing your entire life and business away and moving it across the country can be insanely difficult. Let's help support Jessica at her new home base with the holidays coming. You can reach Jessica at rusticpeachga.com, email her at rusticpeachnaturals at gmail.com, or find her Instagram at rusticpeachnaturals, and she also has a Facebook page, which is under rusticpeachga. This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey, juicers. I'm Brooke. And I'm Alyssa. And this is... For God's sake. Don't drink the Jones juice. Welcome back to episode 22. 22. (laughs) Thank you guys for following us on this journey. Um, We have a pretty interesting episode for you guys, and I hope we don't like ruin this <laughs> fucking kill it because our episode today is going to be Alyssa and I just basically conversing about uh Central State Hospital in Milledgeville Georgia where we were able to go discovering um earlier this week so it will be one big long story and we're both going to be discussing it so if it's kind of confusing and timeline's kind of fucked up, please excuse us. Hopefully it won't be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we went Monday and Tuesday. And uh, Monday we were just kind of on a tight schedule. I had to get my dog to the vet. And it was just, there was, there's a lot to see there, guys. Titus was with us and he just was over distracting. it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit distracting when you have a four-year-old running around and you're trying to ghost hunt. Yeah. <laughs> but um I, I'll assume that the majority of you locals know some of the history behind this place, but we're going to talk about it anyway, because it just interests the shit out of us. And uh, we're going to do some more of this kind of thing, too. We uh, we went to the Guidestones last week. We're just we're trying to check out creepy places in Georgia, I guess. So we both enjoy it. And it, it was a cool thing to do. So it was cool. It was. I still would like to go, like, just Alyssa and I alone, um, because the second time we went, we had a herd of 13-year-olds with us, so again, distracting, Um, but still just a cool experience. I also want to add here, I know we've posted pictures, um, you guys, it is illegal to enter this building. 
Yes. Do not enter the buildings if you go to check this place out. Um, it apparently is illegal to even be on the grounds. I didn't know that. Yeah, and we explored all up in one building. Well, <laughs> yeah. not inside the building, but we were, like, going up the stairs on the buildings and yeah. looking in the windows. And <laughs> I mean, I knew, obviously, you're not supposed to go in there, but you're legally not even supposed to be on the ground. So, oops. Um, now we do for have legal reasons we're telling you this yes exactly for legal reasons um i have a friend actually that works for the Milledgeville De- police department and she's like dude do not go in those buildings i mean really for your safety like these places are like caving in she actually told me that a teenager died sometime in the last couple of months i think falling through the floor in oh. one of those buildings well so. the jones hospital if you just looking on the outside of that, you know that is a death trap if you go in there. Oh yeah. And that's the one me and Brooke wanted to explore so the most. Bad. But it really you can tell from the outside that it is a very, very unsafe building. Yeah. And any pictures that we post, just so you know, um, they were taken through windows. We did not go in, even though we wanted to so so badly. Yeah, I did actually have people think that we took like we were inside of the buildings, and that's yeah. how we got the pictures. But no, we literally stuck our hands to the window or, mm-hmm. or cameras to the windows or through broken windows just to get the pictures. We never yeah. once went inside a building, and that's not for legal reasons. That's literally like a fact. <laughs> so yeah. With that being said. Um, I guess we can talk a little bit about the history of Central State. Um, it's, we've got a lot of good facts for you guys. This is, it's a tough subject though. Um, we do want to give a trigger warning. Um, this particular place in general can be kind of triggering for some people. I know a lot of you have had family members that have uh, gone there to stay. Um, it can just be a you know, a trigger in general for mental health hearing these things. So if those type of things bother you, turn this off now. Um, We will be talking some about even, you know, some torture done at the hospital and that type of thing. So, yeah. With that being said, um, so Central State Hospital, as we now call it, actually started off as the Georgia State Lunatic Idiot and Epileptic Asylum in December of 1842. At that time, Milledgeville was the capital of Georgia. Um, now it's mostly known as just a college town. So um, their very first patient was a man from Bibb County, and his name was Tillman Barnett. Tillman Barnett was brought in chained to a wagon by his wife and other relatives. How horrifying is that? And you're the first one ever to go in this place. Literally, the whole drive up there, when me and Brooke went up there, she was like, imagine being in your wagon. Yeah. <laughs> like, riding up to this hospital just knowing what your fate may be. Ugh. Because it doesn't take, like, experiencing this hospital to know that it's going to be not okay. Exactly. Just from past, like, just knowing about other mm-hmm. asylums and that kind of thing, you just know that, like, this is where you're either going to die yeah. or you might, you may just get super fucking lucky and get out. Uh, yeah, you'd have to be really lucky. This is also, I want to add, um, a lot of, I'd say older, I mean, older than us people have said that they remember growing up and like their parents threatening them like i'm gonna send you to milledgeville yeah that was the thing (laughs) that basically meant like straighten your ass up 
you know it was like a threat back in the day yeah my dad when i told him that we were going to visit here Mm -hmm. he told me he was like yeah when i was a kid my mom whenever we were like driving her crazy she would tell them you're gonna drive me to milledville like it was just it was known like that like you don't want to go to milledgeville right which is so sad yeah so uh again a little just about tillman uh barnett the first patient um so he died of maniacal exhaustion not even six months after entering the hospital and he was only 30 years old i wonder what the fuck was wrong with him i don't know i'm not sure why they brought him there what is maniacal exhaustion, first of all? I'm assuming, like, just being so quote-unquote crazy that you exhaust yourself. I'm sure he was freaking the fuck out. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Let me also say, of the first 50 patients to enter this hospital, 29 of them died without ever leaving. That's heartbreaking. That's a, that's a big, that's more than half. <laughs> yeah. Only eight of them were considered cured by the time they left. So what happened to the rest of them who knows nobody knows Mm -hmm. i mean somebody knows but they're probably dead now so um so i did kind of want to say that um you know mental illness was treated very differently back then than it is now absolutely like literally probably within not not even the last like what 50 years oh 40 30 20 years yeah um, you know, mental illness was, it wasn't seen as a mental illness. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people thought that it was demonic possession mm-hmm. or, you know, during the Salem witch trials, um, mm-hmm. if somebody was acting kind of crazy, mm-hmm. they were afflicted by a witch or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even being a witch was some kind of thing that would put you in an asylum. I don't know. Absolutely. Thank God that mental health awareness is a thing now. Thank God. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we have progressed so much, and I, I think we can only c- progress further. You know? Yeah. Um, so. I feel like probably in the next, like, 50 years, they'll think back on the way that we treated our mentally ill, and they'll be like, they were so inhumane. I know. I feel like we're all mentally ill to an extent. Like, I mean, there's no way. There's not a person on this earth that doesn't have some kind of mental affliction. Exactly. But um, so it was either that or they were thrown into prison because what do you do with somebody like that? Mm -hmm. Like if they're a danger to other people, what do you do with them? Mm -hmm. You throw them in prison, I guess. Something heartbreaking that Alyssa and I discussed and with our morbid personality, we're kind of making jokes about, but at the same sense, also very upset about it. Um, My nephew, Alyssa's son, is autistic. And 50 years ago he would have been there because that's what you did that's just what you did and like you know like i said we were kind of joking about it because that's our morbid personalities coming out but really like it's so heartbreaking it is very and actually i don't feel like i'm that much of a like an emotional person like things don't really make me like get kind of upset when i see like you know historical things right but like when so later on we're going to talk about a cemetery that um a lot of these unknown undocumented patients were buried in and there's just like a row of 2000 like little iron stakes with the numbers on them you don't, we don't know who they are just unidentified people that 
were thrown out like trash. Yeah, like they did not matter. Mm-hmm. Like they had the world viewed them as zero value. Oh yeah, like they had no value in this world. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at all of those stakes, and they're just lined up and rows and rows and rows. And I was like, my son could have been one mm-hmm. of these if I if we had been born, mm-hmm. you know, in an earlier time. Mm-hmm. I mean, like now, obviously, I you know, wouldn't put my son in a home, but you know, back then that's just what you did. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I would have done because yeah. that was all I would have known. Yeah. That's what you did. And he probably would have died early mm-hmm. because he would have had, would not have had the care he needed. Exactly. He would have never progressed. You know, that is so scary. He would probably still be nonverbal because of abuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just, Ugh. it makes me very, very <laughs> thankful that we have come such a long way because if you would have met my son a year ago you knew think about him being like in a sanitarium you you would just know that these nurses would not take care of him no because he's had i mean he can be very aggressive Mm -hmm. he couldn't speak you know he babbled all the time people Mm -hmm. probably would have thought that he was possessed Mm -hmm. It's mm-hmm. just, it's so heartbreaking. Like, I feel for these families just, mm-hmm. and these people who spent their whole lives there, or who mm-hmm. spent only a, you know, a few months there because they ended up dying due to neglect and abuse. And it's just, it's fucked up. It's scary stuff. The, the, just imagine, like, if you're into paranormal, just the darkness that this place carries. Just, yeah. it's heavy, you know? Um, ugh. I would be willing to bet it's the most haunted place in Georgia. Yeah. I mean, over 30,000 deaths there. Yeah. 30,000 deaths. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of deaths. That's insane. Anyways, um, so, okay, I kind of wanted to talk about how um, the, um, what what did you say it was called at first initially? So the name at the very beginning was the Georgia State Lunatic Idiot and Epileptic Asylum. Okay. So during 1834, there was like a huge just, you know, public outcry and concern for, you know, better care for those like afflicted with mental illness or Mm -hmm. whatever. Because, you know, kind of at this point, it's like, oh, it's not really demonic possession it's something kind of in their brain you said what year is this 1834 wow yeah Hmm. a while ago Mm -hmm. um so wilson lumpkin who was the georgia governor um approved the creation of a lunacy commission um and among the among the lunacy commission was um a, a group of like influential doctors and physicians and whatnot from milledgeville um and then that's when they created the Georgia State Lunatic Idiot and Epileptic Asylum on December 28, 1837. Um, and this was going to be the first institution of its kind to treat all three of those illnesses, mm-hmm. which is, mm-hmm. you know, I never, <laughs> I never really thought that, like, cause I call people an idiot all the time. Yeah. But I didn't know that that was like an actual mental illness. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was a name they didn't know what else to call it i don't think being an idiot is a mental illness it's just what you call somebody that you don't have a diagnosis for 
I still didn't know that though. I just yeah. thought an idiot was just a stupid person. a stupid person. Not yeah. like a not somebody with like a low IQ or whatever. Just somebody who just idiot. <laughs> just an idiot. Yeah. There, yeah. There's no definition. Yeah. Um, so with this, they purchased a 40-acre plot of land for $4,000 that was just like two miles south of Milledgeville. Mm-hmm. Um, they chose this area because it was by the capital of mm-hmm. you know Georgia, and um, the physicians who were in that, um, well, what, what did I just say, that commission, yeah, it was by their practices so they literally built this asylum because they were in the wealthy part of georgia which Mm -hmm. was milledgeville Mm -hmm. and because all these doctors had their own private practices which Mm -hmm. to me is crazy because i feel like if you're going to work in an in in an asylum Mm -hmm. you probably need to like let go of your private practice because as we know asylums fill the fuck up so yeah so yeah this eventually it ended up being 200 buildings on 2,000 acres you guys on when we were there like i don't even think we saw everything oh i mean that little area that we went through was not it was not 200 buildings yeah no it wasn't at all we probably saw 10 yeah i mean where the rest where were the rest of them so no idea um thousands and thousands of georgia's georgians were shipped to milledgeville and most of the time they didn't have any kind of specified condition um, or disabilities it definitely didn't warrant a classification of mental illness Um, and by the 50s the staff to patient ratio was one to 100. yeah that's insane it's insane it's a huge ratio and check this shit out too now we will go into this a little bit further but um guess how many of these doctors were actually psychiatrists zero none of them zero and some of these quote-unquote doctors had actually been hired off the mental wards so (laughs) mental patients were helping run the asylum as doctors you know that's actually not uncommon in other asylums they would do that because they don't have any fucking help and like these these you know people pretty much worked as you know these doctors for free because they can't afford to pay Mm -hmm. that is horrifying and that's terrible we're talking about this i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here but this is like in the 50s and 60s yeah 1950s and 60s guys that was not that long ago right um i kind of do want to talk about the the buildings in general mm-hmm. so um the first buildings were made just of brick with wooden roofs and they were three to four floors each mm-hmm. each floor had about 20 rooms with glass windows and cast iron fixed window sashes that opened like into a hallway the buildings were lit by lamps and torches like wow. <laughs> that must have been horrifying yeah uh, the men lived on the first and second floors while the women lived in the top floors and they were supervised by a matron. Slave attendants and servants lived in the basement by the large iron stove that heated the whole building. Wow. Yeah. Mm. I just feel like that's... Um, and this is like at the beginning of everything, right? Yeah. And so in order to be committed to the asylum... Um, these people were like initially made to stand 
before a jury mm-hmm. uh, that would include a physician. Um, and if these people were considered to be, you know, a danger to the community, mm-hmm. a legal a legal record was made, and they would be sent away to the hospital in chains. Eww, that's yeah. so scary. Yep. Um, and then patients that came in that needed calming were placed in a special room where the walls were painted blue. Mm-hmm. And if the wall color mm-hmm. wasn't alone or, or wasn't enough alone, like on its own, yeah. if the blue wall color did not calm down these patients, I just want that to sink in. Mm-hmm. If the wall color mm-hmm. didn't calm down these patients, <laughs> they would chain them to a chair in the corner of the room. Oh, no. These, dude, dude they thought that going into a room with blue wall color would just, just be gonna, like, oh, oh I'm this is now. what I needed my whole life, just yeah. a blue room. Well, I read that they, a lot of the children that they brought in, they would confine them to metal cages, like hours and hours and hours. Um, a lot of the adults were confined in straight jackets. Um, they were forced to take steam baths and cold showers, and they were treated with douches or nauseants. Um, also, in the 1930s and 40s, guys, remember, this is not that long ago, electroshock therapy and involuntary sterilization. I don't even know what that is where they make you where you can't have children oh they sterilize you that's great yeah so those were considered routine in the 30s and 40s and then in the 50s lobotomies were common in 1963 finally forced sterilizations were finally discontinued 1963 that's when my dad was born yeah so we're talking like 57 years ago um but at that time georgia had already sterilized 3,284 people and three quarters of those were psychiatric patients. That is terrifying to be forced sterilized. You know what's also said about that? So one of the buildings that housed um, so sorry that housed the women okay. um, when you read the like the board in front of it that tells you what this building was used for like what kind of patients would be in these buildings mm-hmm. one of them literally said an immodest woman yes so like an immodest woman who i guess was they considered a slut yeah scadly mm-hmm. clothed or whatever in the mental hospital just yeah and then they they're like you know what because you're so immodest you're not gonna have children anymore and then sterilizer literally it's so terrible just Ugh. the way that they thought of things back then <laughs> so i Okay, I want to talk about um, two of the doctors that um, were there, and upon hearing this, you'll probably think, "Oh, well, that was a that might, that sounds like a nice place to be." Mm-hmm. Like it seems like they care about these patients, but when you have one doctor who is trying to implement this, not all the nurses and the attendants or whatever are yeah. going to follow through with it. It's one doctor versus however many staff. Yeah, and, and obviously it's a small staff, so. Uh, yeah. So um, a doctor by the name of Dr. Cooper um, applied the model of the institution as family. 
So, this idea was thought that the patients should be treated by an extended family of strangers Mm -hmm. rather than at home where their illnesses were misunderstood or emotional attachments would keep them from being cured. Mm -hmm. Which I do want to say that I feel like that is kind of, uh, I mean, I don't know for sure, Mm -hmm. but I do think having an emotional attachment can help with delaying progress in treatment because like with Titus, Mm -hmm. with... um, like with his, you know, OT and his um, speech therapist and whatnot, um, you know, I'm not technically allowed to be like in the room with him, right? Because his emotional attachment to me mm-hmm. hinders him from paying attention to them. So yeah. I do feel like that's because when I first read that, I was like, "That's stupid," right? But then I really thought about it. it and I'm like, sense. "No, it makes sense. It really does." So um, instead of locking these patients up in cells, they were encouraged to work in the garden, the fields, or workshops to gain a sense of usefulness. That's nice. It is nice, yeah. So also in 1945, Dr. Thomas A. Green was selected to be the second second superintendent of the hospital. And he just kind of carried on with the institution as family concept. Mm -hmm. Um, And new patients Mm -hmm. would typically come to the hospital in the worst of conditions where they had been beaten. They were filthy, like hadn't bathed in however long. And they were always in shackles. And Dr. Green made it a personal ritual to release the patients from their shackles as soon as they arrived, which gave them, again, a level of freedom within the institution. Good man. Um, He also made it a point to regularly eat with with the staff and patients. And he also further abolished other forms of restraint, and only a small number of the 200 patients had to be kept in isolation. Hmm. Um, but Dr. Green also had a reputation of not turning people away from the hospital, even when it was overcrowded. So sounds like he just wanted to help so much. Yeah. Just help and help and help. But he was doing it and it was detrimental to, especially what we'll learn later with the, when it starts actually overcrowding. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, funding the hospital was, proven to be a challenge like oh yeah you have so many patients so little staff exactly i'm sure staff is constantly leaving too because they can't handle it oh yeah i'm certain of that yeah Mm -hmm. uh so it was believed at first that the hospital could be partially self um sustainable by like admitting patients that were like their family paid for them to be there right um but obviously this was unreliable because you know a lot of times when you have a patient with a mental illness as severe as a lot of these other people or just even in general because you know they were ashamed for having these mental illnesses you know families did not want these people yeah because they were ashamed and it would look bad on their family name or whatever um you know they didn't want to pay for them to be there because they just didn't even want them yeah they weren't paying for them to be there so that they could get better they were paying for them to be there so they weren't around them exactly yep yeah so dr green asked for more state funding to complete the hospital build a library a chapel and to purchase more land 
um, with the Civil War ravaging the cotton economy, families could no longer pay for their loved ones to be in the hospital, which raised operational costs and left the hospital's financial state even more in the hands of the state. So not only were people who just like didn't want these family members not paying, you know, mm-hmm. now family members who did care mm-hmm. couldn't pay because yeah. the state they weren't of making the country money. Is, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so, um, so you know how Sherman marched through Georgia and fucking burned so much shit to the ground? Uh-huh. So, thankfully, when he did that, he, thankfully, I don't know, thankfully or not, who knows, he didn't burn down the asylum. I wonder why he didn't. I don't know, maybe he felt bad about killing a bunch of, you know, kind of sick people yeah i don't know but nice guy yeah and so like the the, you know georgia was kind of just like not okay at this point right because everything's falling apart literally so now the asylum is kind of like the last thing on the state's mind Mm -hmm. and so they're not really receiving the support that they need Mm -hmm. to you know continue on with how things should be right so Dr. Green, because I really feel like Dr. Green just had a big heart. Yeah. Because he started to take in refugees from other southern states where hospitals were in federal hands. Mm -hmm. Um, Due to the abled bodies being sent off to war, older staff could hardly handle patient care. So supplies were scarce, which caused Dr. Green to resort to searching the countryside for food and money and selling off whatever the hospital had for cash. So it seems like he genuinely cared about this asylum. Why couldn't he have just stayed around? Right. (laughs) Um, So this is kind of where I feel like it gets a little more sad. Um, If you are easily triggered by um, the racial injustice thrown upon black people, maybe skip, you know, a little while. But um, that's what we're about to talk about. So... um, um due to the south's defeat black people were freed thankfully mm-hmm. but this caused the um the population within black patients to skyrocket pretty much yeah, yeah. um and so Although the hospital wasn't as segregated as other hospitals in the South, they didn't have any separate buildings required by law for black patients, which left them to sleep outside or on the hospital grounds. That is so sad. It's so sad. But in 1866, the first colored-only building was built on campus, and the start of a second campus um, was being built, which would later be turned into a prison. Uh-huh. What do you have anything to add there? Or I'm about to start talking about like well patient to doctor ratios and like that what, what year are we in right now? 1872. Okay, yeah, you keep on going because I don't really have anything until the 1900s. Okay, so I'll just stop at the 1900s then. Okay, so by 1872, 448 patients were being treated by four doctors at the hospital with an annual budget of $100,000, which, I mean, for this huge hospital, that's not a lot of money. No. 
Um, this was a huge patient to Dr. Ratio, and to try and control this, Dr. Green started to only admit non-violent patients and would put two to three together in a small, like, 10 by 12 foot room. Ugh. Yeah. That's a small room. Uh, yeah. For three people. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, think about it. That's, like, half of this room we're in right now. Yeah. Wow. So, Dr. Green believed that the earlier patients were treated, the more successful treatment would be, and the patients could then return home. Mm -hmm. Um, So, there's also a building called the Powell Building. So, I'm about to talk about the man. And we checked that one out good, you guys. Yes, we did. (laughs) This was on Monday before we knew we really weren't supposed to be on the grounds and we're trespassing with a (laughs) four-year-old. Fun times. (laughs) <laughs> I really didn't know we weren't supposed to. Let me just say this building too. They've uh, I shouldn't be saying this, but they've got it nicely set up where you could really get in if you wanted to. But for legal reasons, <laughs> do not do it. <laughs> Anyways, so I don't know how you pronounce this name, but I want to say it's Theopolis. Okay, Doctor Theopolis Powell who was the assistant to Dr. Green and a noted scholar of psychiatry, became the superintendent in 1874. The asylum had become a dumping ground for not only the insane, but also those that were unwanted by the community, such as alcoholics, criminals, the elderly, and for those who had nowhere to go. The Powell Building also is, or eventually became, a patient drop-off, right, and admissions. And they had two huge wings where they also kept patients. Yes. This building is huge. It's beautiful, too. That's the sad part about it. See, the Jones building was the hospital. The Powell building was administrations, which they're pretty much like directly across the street from each other. But, um, yeah, they did have two wings also in the Powell building for patients. I think the Powell building was also um built to kind of resemble like the white house yeah yeah it's huge and it is just gorgeous i heard too that they were still using that building like not too long ago like 2015 yeah yeah Mm -hmm. they have christmas decorations yeah they do in the basement (laughs) that was kind of weird yeah um so three years later the state passed a law that made the asylum free for all state citizens so kind of at this point like think of how much of an influx of patients that began when they're like oh it's free yeah they're just gonna send all kinds of people here Uh, that are unwanted which is so sad it's probably like these people that used to threaten their children with milledgeville's dream (laughs) you're actually going now (laughs) let's get in the car you're going to milledgeville literally oh sad so dr powell and his staff developed a more accurate method of diagnosing patients to try and keep the overcrowding as a minimum as possible in 1886 a law was passed that allowed the hospital to discharge patients who were deemed incurable but harmless so that they could go live with their families and also so that they could make room for new patients i bet the families were real happy about that yeah incurable too that's such a sad thing to say they are incurable so you're going back home so not only did the state making it free for all uh, state citizens but they built an on-site railroad station and a new hospital building and this caused a huge flood of patient applications so 
So, okay, now I'm kind of getting into the 1900s. I know you just talked about... Um, um, well, kind of what I was talking about was just, you know, the electroshock therapy and sterilization and all of that. That was, you know, super common in the 30s and 40s and the lobotomies and, the you know, just all of that yeah. craziness that is just not that long ago. And then I've also got something kind of about a newspaper article. But uh, you just you go ahead if you've got anything earlier than that. OK, um, what what? I have some stuff by 1910. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So within the dawn of the 20th century, overcrowding had become a bigger issue at the facility, which was now renamed the Georgia State Sanitarium. Mm -hmm. By 1910, there were 3,347 patients cared for by 12 doctors. That's actually horrifying. 12. Horrifying. 12. Insane. Uh So... Because there are more patients than there are doctors, um, they started to see a huge, um, like, uh, they started to see, like, a lot of reports of abuse, neglect, and unsanitary facilities, Mm -hmm. um, along with the inclusion of seclusion rooms. And I'm just going to say inclusion of seclusion rooms. It's fun to say. (laughs) Inclusion of seclusion. (laughs) Um, Only the very basic needs of patients were expected to be met. Other than that, like, you were just kind of on your own. Like, they weren't going to, like, you got food and you had, uh, that was pretty it. Pretty much it. Um, Staff were unable to provide appropriate treatment for their illnesses a lot of patients whose mental illnesses were diagnosed as unclassified were lost in the system and rumors arose of lo- loved ones vanishing within the sanitarium. Let me throw in here just a, a little something kind of backing up a little bit. But, you know, you were saying about like the woman that basically was a whore. So, yeah. You know, so patients were admitted for religious excitement was a reason to be admitted. Domestic unhappiness. So you're unhappy at home, so you get thrown in a middle ward. Um, Me up right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ill health, jealousy, and then an early patient. Jealousy. Jealousy. Oh my god, I would be there so fast. <laughs> One early patient was described. This was literally the diagnosis. Rather idiotic. <laughs> that is sad. Rather idiotic. What does that mean? Though? I don't know. Like what? What I'm a, you know I'm about to Google like what that meant back then. <sighs> what does <laughs> or what did idiotic mean? Idiotic. I mean, I think it literally just means stupid. <laughs> I mean, it probably did. Okay, um, I'm typing so slow. <laughs> a idiot was a person with a very profound intellectual disability. So, so somebody just somebody with a like a very low IQ, probably. Probably mental retardation was called being an idiot. That's so sad. That is sad. So that's probably not a nice thing to call people an idiot. Yeah. Oop. Yeah. Yeah, I mean probably, we you know the R word is such a huge thing that you oh, know yeah. people are trying not to say nowadays, but yeah. I feel like idiot was like the first form of the R word cuz you never see the 
the R word right. in these kind of um, articles, mm-hmm. but you do see the word idiot. So I remember as a child, like, and like people still say this all the time, but I'd be like, oh, that's lame. And I remember getting in trouble for saying lame. I didn't yeah. know what it meant. Do you know what it means? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know like that it meant somebody that wasn't able to walk or like whatever. Like I didn't know. Like you just say, oh, that's lame. You know what I mean? But yeah, these words. Oh, now, that's unable to walk. Yeah. You know, but. It's so sad how we take these things. Yeah. And make them into slurs. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you how many people I see on Facebook using autistic as... An insult. Yeah, they'll be like, what are you, fucking autistic or something? And it's yeah. like, how is that a bad thing? Or like, oh, that's gay. Like, yeah, what, that what does that even mean? Like, like, why are these slurs? Yeah. I don't get it. I don't either. I, I would definitely, growing up, was... Um, um, definitely the type of person to be like, oh, that's gay. Or right. I remember the first time my brother called me the R word. And I was like, what is that? Right. And then it just became a huge thing. Like back when I was like 10 years old, that was just the thing to call somebody. Yeah. It's so sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so where was I at? Okay. So farming was uh, considered a helpful activity for patients 800 acres of farmland was purchased um, so that, like, the patients could farm food to provide for the hospital. Hmm. Excuse me. Um, and it wasn't deemed, like, a like a useful treatment to, right. like, cure these or help aid in the cure of these um, people. But it provided life skills for, like, if they were to ever be released. So That's good. Yeah. Um, in 18, okay, so now I'm in 1821, I'm about to talk about segregation of black, uh, patients. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So in 1921, uh, segregation of black patients ended, but racial tension was still high within the community. Four years later in 1925, the first ever reported staff murder occurred when a nurse named Amy Oxford was struck in the back of the head with an ax handle by a black patient who then quietly returned to their work afterwards. I had no idea about that. It yeah. was heartbreaking. When news spread about what happened, the local townspeople forced their way into the building where the patient was in seclusion and murdered him. <sighs> so my thought process is, I wonder if this black patient actually even like killed her or if they were blamed for doing it. But at that time, wouldn't it have only been black patients together? I, I don't know. I mean, segregation of black patients ended, but racial tension was still high. So, hmm. I mean, there could have been black people and white people with, you know, in the same area. I don't know. That was just my first thought. Because, I mean, that shit happened all the time back then. Black right. people were always accused Blamed of things that they did not do. Yeah. I mean, he could have done it for sure. I mean, this was an insane asylum, you know. Right. But... I mean, I guess we'll never know. But I, I mean, I hope he did do it because mm-hmm. I would hate for him his death to be in vain. Right. Um. Okay, so now I'm in 1929. Keep going. That's all you. Okay. Do you have anything else? 
Uh, not really, because I've already pretty much spoken about everything from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. I've got some things in the late 50s to kind of talk about. Okay. So, in 1929, the Georgia State Sanitarium changed its name to Milledgeville State Hospital due to the ever-evolving views on mental illness. I guess sanitarium wasn't, like, politically correct. Is that? Do you think so? I'm not sure. That's the only thing that I can think of when I think Why of... Why they changed it. Again. Yeah. I don't know. By this time, the house, the, the hospital, the hospital housed over 6,000 patients with one physician per 600 patients. Insane. And a waiting list of 1,500 patients. Wow. Many buildings were in disrepair, so the hospital expanded 132 acres to include four new hospital buildings and a dedicated tuberculosis ward. Wow. Um, the four funding, oh my God, the poor funding by the state and the lack of able-bodied staff during World War II caused radical treatment to manage the huge influx of patients. So this is kind of when they really started, you know, implementing, um, you know, these insane treatments that Brooke listed earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, by the 1940s, Milledgeville State Hospital had over 10,000 patients, which included patients who had been there for 20 years. Oh, that's, oh, it's terrible. Attendants and nurses worked 60 to 70 hour weeks where nurses made $74 a month. And I calculated that for you guys. And in today's time, $74 a month was $1,358.29. So they were making nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. For working 60 to 70 hour weeks. It's insane. I'd be surprised if some of the staff didn't become patients. <laughs> I'm sure know? they did, probably. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So it was estimated at this time that thousands of patients could have been deemed harmless and discharged. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. They just didn't have that one-on-one care, you know. So Brooke just talked about treatments such as insulin shock and electroshock therapy, Um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about what those are, um, because I actually had no idea what insulin um, shock therapy was until I kind of looked it up. Um, So it's it started with um, a doctor named Manfred J. Sakel or Sakel. I don't it's S-A-K-E-L. Okay, whatever that is. I'm going to call him Sakel. Sakel. Yeah. so he had used insulin to tranquilize morphine addicts undergoing withdrawal. And in 1927, one patient was accidentally given an overdose of it, causing him to slip into a coma. Ooh. Yeah. Sagel noted that when he woke up, his mental state was a lot better. Huh. Yeah. Who would he, have thought? Not me. I didn't even know what it was. Uh-huh. So he hypothesized that induced convulsions with insulin could have similar effects on those suffering from schizophrenia Hmm. his initial studies found that he that the treatment was effective in 88 percent of his new patients which caused the method to be used widely for a brief period of time but follow-up studies showed that the long-term results weren't as great as they had initially noted so Hmm. yeah and then electroshock therapy um, I know everybody knows what this is, but just in case, 
it was a psychiatric treatment in which seizures in which seizures in the brain are electrically induced in patients to provide relief from mental disorders typically 70 70 to 120 volts were applied externally to the patient's head resulting in approximately 800 do you know how do you know how to pronounce this it's m i l l i a m p e r e s Melam melampers. I don't know. Okay, I don't know either. But um, I guess it's just um, a um, what is it? A, a term of measurement. Yeah, a term of measurement. I guess for the voltage or something. Yeah. Well, okay. So, whatever it is, it's unacceptable. <laughs> exactly, and they did this for anywhere from a hundred milliseconds to six seconds. Ooh, yeah, that is horrifying. And they would oh either gosh. do it from the temp from temple to temple, which was called a bilateral ECT, mm-hmm. or from front to back of one side of the head, which was called a unilateral ECT. Can you imagine? I'm sure they strapped you down and oh, just yeah. like shocked the shit out of you. That's yep. so scary. Yeah. And so at the hospital, electroshock therapy was done on a mass assembly basis hmm. at the discretion of the staff. So they knew what they were doing was wrong. Oh, yeah. Um, and the patients were confused on whether the electroshock therapy was done as treatment or punishment. Yeah. They literally had no idea. Yeah. Um, and while hospital chaos died down due to these treatments, memory loss in these patients became common, Aww. unpredictable, and sometimes permanent. Oh, no. Which helped wipe out any memories of abuse. Oh, convenient. With, yeah, so convenient. Mm. And then, like what Brooke said, in 1951, lobotomies were introduced to the hospital for chronic cases. 125 severely ill patients were lobotomized, and only 24 patients were able to return home. Wow. So, obviously, lobotomies don't work. Wow. That's not a good success rate. Go figure. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, um, now I have... Um, um, Atlanta newspapers frequently ran articles about patient abuse and deterior- deteriorating hospital conditions, which I also read that, um, like the Atlanta newspapers was literally at this point, the hospital's only advocate, really? like these people in here are suffering and Atlanta's the only one like talking about it. Like I have some about this too, um, Basically, the Atlanta Constitution, um, one of the reporters investigated reports of a snake pit. Now, I did not know what a snake pit was. I am literally am assuming that they're like throwing people in a pit of snakes. And maybe I'm an idiot, but I did Google the definition of this. And basically um, what it means is a place of overcrowded squalor, especially a poorly run mental hospital. Um it is a place of horror, torture, and death. Yeah. So, I didn't know what it was. I'm literally thinking they're throwing these people in, like, a pit with snakes in it. So. Well, I remember us reading that mm-hmm. and us both thinking, oh, my God, there was a snake pit. <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard of that word. But, yeah. yeah so, um, as I said earlier, now this guy, his name was Jack Nelson, the reporter, um, he was the one that found that 
the thousands of patients at this time in the 50s were served by only 48 doctors and not a single one of which were a psychiatrist. And again, that the doctors, a lot of the doctors had been hired off the mental wards. So um, the series uh, that Jack Nelson investigated rocked the state of Georgia. Yeah. Um, A lot of the staff ended up being fired and Nelson won a Pulitzer. So um, the state, which had ignored decades of pleas from hospital superintendents, began to finally provide additional funding. And by the mid-1960s, as new psychiatric drugs allowed patients to move to less restrictive settings, Central State's population began its steady decline. Yeah. And in the 1960s, when it was renamed Central State Hospital, so... Mm -hmm. Um, It was also the largest facility in the country, even surpassing Pilgrim State Hospital in New York. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know about, do you know about Pilgrim State Hospital? I'm not super familiar with it. Oh, a lot of people, it's like very widely known and it's, it's insane that right here in technically our own backyard, we Mm -hmm. had this asylum that Mm -hmm. was pretty bad as Pilgrim State. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Yes. Um, is that all you have? Um, I mean, I have some things about like the graveyard and stuff okay. like that. Do you have anything else to add before that? Um, I just have that um, that tens of, tens of thousands of patients were secret, secretly buried on the grounds. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have a lot of information on the cemetery, but I also, um, from what I discovered, it was like a cemetery for black patients. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think like literally most of those markers are from forgotten black patients, which is sad. So but sad. you can go ahead and talk about that. And that's okay. pretty much all I have. So, so. there is a cemetery um, on the grounds. It's called Cedar Lane. Alyssa and I did go exploring. Yes, we did. Um, it's so sad. But um So it's said that this particular cemetery holds the graves of more than 25,000 unnamed patients Um, because so many of these patients lived at the hospital for so many years, they were often forgotten or shunned by their families. Um, The hospital had its own mortuary and morgue, Mm -hmm. and they employed carpenters whose only job was building caskets. So, for more than a century, the hospital buried its dead beneath small metal stakes. Um, Only thing on these metal stakes, guys, was a number that corresponded to the patient's file. Um, Again, we did see these. I've got pictures. We've posted pictures. But there were no names on the stakes, no dates of birth or death, no symbols of life outside the hospital. Um, so for the groundskeepers at the time, these markers just were a nuisance, um, when they mowed the cemeteries. So in the sixties, the groundskeepers just started pulling the stakes from the ground and pulled at least 10,000 of them out of the ground and tossed them into the woods. So messed up. So messed up. So these 25,000 people that were buried on these grounds, now there are no markers. Let's, you know, as I said before, there was nothing to identify them anyway. Yeah. But now you're just pulling the markers out and just tossing them. Like, right. Again, just completely dehumanizing. Disrespect. Disrespecting these. Devaluing. Yeah. So, um, sadly, you know, 
each of these buried individuals are forever anonymous, even in their death. You know, they meant nothing in life and they mean nothing in death to this hospital. And it's heartbreaking. Um, now they did. Do you remember what year it was? They, uh, you know, found the markers and put them up in the. Um, so. What uh, you see now is something that I guess volunteers did for the cemetery. Yeah. And this was done in the last like 20 years, I want to say. Yeah, I don't have the date, but I did want to add that, um, that these unidentified patients were buried, um, in six neglected cemeteries, which makes it one of the largest burial grounds for the mentally ill, which is. Mm -hmm. Now I'll tell you this too, the girl I said earlier, that's a friend of mine that works for the Millage, uh, police department. She said one of the reasons you aren't supposed to be on the grounds is because there are so many buried people out there and unmarked graves that you can fall in. Yeah, I actually didn't even think about that. That's, That's terrifying. pretty accurate, though. Yeah. It's a real thing. Like, they could become, like, sinkholes, pretty much. Isn't that so scary? That's horrifying, yes. So, yeah. Don't go in. And really, guys, don't go on the grounds. I mean, we did it, I know, but we're not um, in any way, shape, or form, you know, I don't know. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Telling you to do it. Just don't. Just don't. But um, anything else we want to talk okay. about? I did want to say this is a little off topic, but kind of still on topic. So um, Wilson Lumpkin, you know, who's the governor who kind of like was like, yes, we need to make this hospital. Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell a quick story. Um, the Lumpkin County was, you know, named after Wilson Lumpkin. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk about how. My dad's great-great-grandfather's uncle killed the sheriff of Lumpkin County. Really? <laughs> yes. Why? Um, so I actually got my dad to text me the story, and this is what he said. He said, my great-grandfather had an uncle. He only referred to him as Uncle Billy. I believe it was his grandfather's brother. After the Civil War, during Reconstruction, a Union officer who was the de facto sheriff of Lumpkin County, Georgia, this sheriff gave Uncle Billy a lot of trouble and was constantly harassing him. At some point in the late 1860s or early 1870s, Uncle Billy had all he could take of the harassment, and so at some point Billy shot and killed the Union officer sheriff. He was a fugitive for the rest of his life. He um, he was never caught. Wow. My great-grandfather was born in 1889, and when he was 10 years old, a mysterious visitor came to their home. His father immediately sent all the kids to bed. Late that night, the visitor left, and the visitor ended up being Uncle Billy. Wow. So, I have a murderer in my family. <laughs> That's crazy stuff. <laughs> he killed the fucking sheriff. Damn. Woo. So, yeah, um... we want to talk a little bit more about our experience oh, sorry, there guys yeah um actually so i honestly didn't really know about the asylum until not that long ago mm -hmm. so brooke was like we need to go see it and i was like let's do it so we did and um twice yes twice <laughs> and i will say that um you know me and brooke 
are very prone to feeling things, um, things that the ordinary person cannot feel. Um, but we kind of had a hard time focusing in on that because we were chasing around my four-year-old son who was very interested in being there. Yeah, he really was. He kept he was going, so funny. ooh, monster, because <laughs> he thought like it was a haunted house pretty much. So I've had a lot of people ask me like, as a sensitive person like how did it make you feel oh so sorry guys (laughs) and to be completely honest with you guys because we were so distracted i don't know that Alyssa feels this way i think you do but it was really hard for me to feel anything yeah my sole focus was basically on not letting my son run away or you know go too close to the building and fall through something or step on glass so i didn't really get an emotional assessment now i think if it was just her and i which we have not gotten to do yet it would be we'd have a lot more for you as far as that goes yeah now there is we did take a lot of pictures there is this one picture in particular Mm -hmm. that will chill you to your bones because it is 100 percent a woman crouching down yeah i don't which one was this which one did i say that one was taken in it was the hospital the hospital yeah the hospital Mm -hmm. yeah so it's another one of those pictures i just kind of stuck my arm through the window and took and there is a very clear woman crouching yeah i wouldn't say very clear you kind of have to zoom in and look at it i showed it to scotty and he was like oh i don't see anything but like once like you kind of point out like the head and the back and the arms and the knees and the legs scotty was like oh yeah no i see that so i sent it to my husband through text and okay let me just tell you guys this is a man that absolutely hates sage like he hates the smell of it and i'm constantly like saging the house and literally he texts back and he was like holy fuck sage the house (laughs) (laughs) so like i mean to me it's very clear i don't see how somebody couldn't see it especially you know circled yeah well circled and like but if you're just kind of like going through the pictures you know just kind of not looking for anything i don't think you would probably see it you'd have to kind of look for it to see it right it's like in the shadows we but also, yeah, it's creepy. We have uh, several other places, which I'm not going to name, but we will be doing some more exploring. Um, I just, I don't want to give you guys ideas to go do illegal shit, so. <laughs> I mean, for legal reasons, we say this. <laughs> but uh, I do have another one. Hopefully we can go explore soon. Yeah, I want to actually go see the prison there. Yeah. Because that, that prison that we mentioned earlier, it is abandoned and it looks creepy as hell. It's got like a jungle around it because... I was able to get some pictures just through like the gate, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess explore with your own discretion, but... Exactly. For legal reasons, we're telling you not to do it. (laughs) That's the only reason. Um, And for your safety. But if you don't value your safety or legal things, then (laughs) have at it, I guess. Right. Um, So is that all we want to talk about? or I guess so. We do have um, a couple of stories each. We asked some of our listeners to send stories in. if they had had any experience with central state, you know, maybe a relative stayed there, maybe, you know, they went exploring. So we do have two stories each. We're going to read from our listeners regarding the hospital. And I've read pretty much all of them just to make sure that, um, okay. I'm just going to tell, tell you guys this. If you send in like a listener juice story and 
it doesn't get read, it's most likely because it was very hard for us to read, like grammatically. Um, so we just kind of preview things to make sure that we're going to be able to have like a coherent story on here. So I guess what I'm trying to say is watch what you type. <laughs> just make Please. sure that other people can read it. Yeah. So that's why we read these first. Well, I have not read them. Okay. So. That's why I read these first, just to make sure they were going to be okay for us to read okay. to you guys. So just try to just, just write better write better please <laughs> oh. all right do you want to go first or do you want me to go you go first i just did a lot of fucking reading okay so uh my story here is from anna and it begins my whole experience when we went exploring there was a roller coaster of ghosts before i start this story i've got to ask did you manage to get up to the buildings to look through the windows did you notice the cold air blowing out that tripped me out so bad okay and can i say this really fast yes okay so the first time that i stuck my hand through a window to take a picture it was at um it was at the hospital Mm -hmm. the cold air in that building was insane Mm -hmm. like i do not understand why it was so cold inside the building she literally said that like why is it so cold in there i kept going why is it so cold in there because literally like it was like 70 something degrees outside the Mm -hmm. sun was out so i mean it felt a lot hotter than it was Mm -hmm. but i i mean okay so i sometimes will leave my ac off when it's like in the 70s -hmm. because it feels pretty nice outside i don't really feel like i need it too much like when i'm gone Mm -hmm. and when i come back home it's muggy it's muggy and it feels about the same but that but inside of the hospital where i stuck my arm ice it's like a ice box in there yeah and like the it like it's windy it like blows at you it's super fucking creepy it's not natural that's so weird it's not normal because you would think any kind of abandoned building it would just be muggy and especially with how many like windows were broken out of it you would think that it would feel the same way it did outside inside but no well too you gotta think like that whole roof is pretty much gone yeah that too yeah you know so. so there's no reason why it should feel that freaking freezing <laughs> on the inside it's really crazy i just got cold chills yeah dude no that the whole okay the whole time we were there i was never freaked out until i felt how cold it was in there like i'm not exaggerating mm-hmm. brooke's not exaggerating anna is not exaggerating mm-hmm. it really does feel like a meat locker in there it mm-hmm. is so cold for no reason let me add something really quick guys because we didn't say this earlier but i do want to warn you guys because we have warned you several times not to go and not to go on the grounds but they do have security there okay so there uh when we were there tuesday we had this uh female security guard that kept driving around um yeah she stopped and she was like you guys do know you're not supposed to go in the building right and we were like yeah we know (laughs) but so yeah we did want to add that there are security guards there so don't try no sneaky shit anyway and we're about to read stories where people are doing sneaky shit but anyway (laughs) okay so anna says anyways we originally were going to check out an abandoned two-story school in macon not sure the name of it because i never got around to seeing it but half of the group i was with had already been there and we all wanted to explore where no one had been So fast forward to us parking and getting out. We start towards the Walker building. That was the men's ward. 
one of the guys took off to jump to the side of the building to look through the metal barred windows. And as I was walking up behind him with someone else, we heard what sounded like a door slamming inside the building. And on that same building, one of the two lights at the front door was swinging back and forth, but there wasn't any wind blowing the whole time we were out there. And all of the encounters we had were in the middle of the day. After that, we walked over to the women and children's ward that's right right beside the men's ward and managed to get around the side of the building without being noticed. And I am not exaggerating when I tell you the air coming out of those buildings were as cold as a meat locker, considering it was probably around 80 degrees that day. One of the girls had been taking pictures through the window and managed to get a picture of a woman in a white gown standing next to a little boy in a wheelchair looking straight at the camera. Which, by the way, if you still have that picture, send it our way, please. Yes. When we looked back through the pictures later that night, please send them. Uh, Somehow we managed to get around to the backside of the actual hospital trying to find a way into it with no luck, but there was a door on the third floor that we noticed every time we looked back up at it, the curtain would be closed a little more than it was the last time. We looked and watched until it was completely closed. And even after all of that, this this last one is probably the spookiest one of them all to me. I'm not sure which building we were in. I want to say it was the PAL building, but the guys managed to climb through one of the windows on the back side of it and get in. While we stayed outside, I decided I was going to try and scare them by beating on one of the boarded up doors. But the joke was on me because something on the opposite end, or I'm sorry, wait. Okay. Uh, Something on the opposite end of where the guys and us were decided to beat back at us. That's so creepy. I would (laughs) have... high tilted out of there right we decided our fun was over after that and i and didn't want to try our luck anymore than we had before we got caught since then we've gone back a couple of times to check out the graves which were pretty cool there's a book that has the tell-all that has the tell-all about the history of the hospital and its patients but for the life of me i can't remember what it's called if i find it i'll let you know thank you anna super creepy yeah Mm. it beat back on the door it nope. beat back nope 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 that's a big nip yeah we me. were able to get back to you know behind the hospital with no problem mm-hmm. um but and like i said that security guard was you know driving the entire property the whole yeah. time so yeah um there was the back side of the hospital that's where i felt the cold air and then yeah. there was like um you know that middle part we went to mm-hmm. it was like the hospital from the front mm-hmm. it just looks like a really long rectangle mm-hmm. but when you look at the back you realize how gigantic Deep this building is. is yeah yeah um because it just goes on and goes on mm-hmm. but um there's like this middle part of the building where um um it's like it has it's like a i guess a kind of goes in shape. Yep, sorry it's a u-shape and um, you can like drive up back there and there's like, you know, some doors and a bunch of windows and stuff. And then there's the actual back of the building. To and me, it looked like it might've been like where the cafeteria or something was like, cause it looked like that's where like some workers would park and it yeah. like there was like a flag post out there at one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Probably where the staff parked. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have a story from Samantha and she actually sent me some pictures of I bet you the morgue was back there, too. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. 
So Samantha says, a group of friends and I decided to go to the Central State Hospital for the first time. Two people in the group had already been and were walking in front of me. When we were almost to the gate, a man dressed in all black decided to do the weirdest growl. The person in front screamed, what the fuck is that? And started running towards me, which made his friend turn around and run. Which, in turn, I was just standing there because I didn't know what was going on. His friend ran um, straight into me. The second I turned around, I fell straight onto the concrete and and slid because he hit me so hard while running. Once I got up, the guy came from behind and the... A guy, the guy came from behind the bush and instantly apologized, saying he didn't know someone would get hurt. I don't know what he was thinking, but I bled through my pants from the huge gash in my knee and still decided to walk through the hospital. Who the hell was he? I don't know. To everyone who goes, please don't be like that idiot and try to scare a group of people because someone could get hurt. The hospital is definitely an experience, and I am dying to go back. Next time, definitely doing some ghost hunting because the whole time I was walking around, I felt like someone was constantly behind me, even though no one was there. And then she sent a bunch of pictures of like what happened to her. I saw from me. Yeah, Jesus it, Christ, it's insane. Yeah, so don't don't be that idiot and try and scare people who are exploring. I want to know who he was. Me too. Why was he there? To scare people, I guess. Oh gosh, I mean, you could get shot, dude. Lit- like, what if one of them like had a gun and just literally you pretty much just assaulted somebody for <laughs> the thrill of it? Ugh. All right, my next story is from Corey. I went to GCSU, Georgia College and State University, from six ten. From six ten. Oh, so, oh, okay. So two thousand six to two thousand ten. Sadly, by that point, the cops were really cracking down on trespassers, but I have a few tales. One, a friend of mine who was a few years older was able to break in and said that almost everything was left behind. Hospital beds, old equipment, chairs with traps, medical instruments, etc. He managed to swipe an old medicine container. It has a giant radiation symbol on it, and it is made of lead. We're not really sure what it was used to treat cancer maybe probably two i was able i was never able to go in remember it's still a functioning hospital to some extent but i was able to drive around the first time was at night with friends and we got lost see I, we did not see everything if these people are getting lost yeah um we freaked ourselves out too much with the secret abandoned buildings sitting in the shadows the second time i was showing my parents and even in the daytime something about that place just is just off it's almost like the colors are wrong kind of washed out that's a good way of describing it yeah Mm -hmm. i guess that much sadness and pain just leaves a stain on things i remember my mother just shuddering in the car and saying this place is just creepy three this one is kind of sad my great aunt was a patient here in the 50s and received electric electroshock therapy for mental health treatment Unfortunately, we never really knew what she had, probably bipolar or severe depression. But the thought of her being tortured in there in the name of health just makes me sad. Corey. Me too. Yeah. So sorry that happened. Yes. Mm. Oh, goodness. Okay. My next story is from Haley. She says, I wanted to share my story. 
Back in 2015, my now ex ex-husband and I went ghost hunting down there in Milledgeville. We walked around the building and accessed what we could. I've always been sensitive to the paranormal. As soon as we stepped onto the grounds, I started crying uncontrollably. Oh my gosh. I felt like my world was crumbling. The amount of pain and tightness in my chest was absolutely horrible. It took about 15 minutes for me to gain my composure. Afterwards, we peeked into a window and I could and I could hear chains rattling. Mm. And what sounded like women screaming. My husband couldn't hear anything. I was so convinced that what I was hearing was happening right then that I thought maybe someone was kidnapped and being held in there. Oh and then gosh. she does like the yeah. emoji. <laughs> I wanted to call 911, but my husband kept saying no one was there. We got ready to leave, and while pulling away, I looked back and seen a female standing in the window. She looked so sad, mm -hmm. like she was upset I didn't help her. Oh my gosh. I whispered to myself, I'm sorry, because I felt so much pain. It's like I was feeling her pain. We got about 10 miles down the road, and my husband randomly slammed on the brakes and started panicking. I asked what was wrong, and he said, you didn't see that? You didn't see that girl standing in the road? Oh, my God. I was shocked. I said, what did she look like? And he described the, the woman I saw in the window. Both of us were shaken up at this point. We got home. We decided to sleep with our bedroom door locked and a few lights on. We lived in an older home at the time, built in the 30s. We had no neighbors within miles, just open fields. The house was sturdy and the doors were very heavy and very thick, almost impossible to break. That same night, I woke up to a sound that I haven't forgotten to this day. The sound of someone running up and down the hallway just outside my bedroom. Oh my God. I thought maybe I was hearing shit, so I tried to go back to sleep. Woke up minutes later to the same thing, heavy running up and down the hallway. So I woke up my husband to go look. He grabbed his 9mm and went to look. No one was there, and he made sure the doors were locked. After he came back, we both laid back down, and as soon as we began to fall asleep, the running got louder. He oh heard God. it that time. So he got up to go check, but as soon as his feet hit the floor, something huge ran full force and hit our bedroom door. <gasps> Whatever it was hit so hard that it cracked from the bottom up and the pictures fell off our wall. Oh my gosh. I remember him yelling, saying, grab your stuff, let's go. And we ran out the front door and we moved out shortly after. <gasps> Whatever it was we encountered at the hospital wasn't friendly and we brought it home with us. That is so scary. That is horrifying. Holy shit. I'm so glad that didn't happen to us. Me too. I always get, see, that's what I tell you about, like, I'd rather go to a fake haunted house because you're not going to bring something home with you, but you really can with places like yeah, this. That's why my husband's like, sage the house. It's scary. I saged my car too, by the way. Did you? Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, well, I guess that's all we have for you this episode, guys. Yeah. I hope um, you enjoyed it. If we ever go back, just Brooke and I. We'll, we'll update we'll definitely vlog it that yeah. way we can give you guys kind of a better feel for it yeah and like i don't know it'll uh, be cool also i did want to mention here shortly we will be um taking uh sponsors for 2021 yes okay if you guys remember we asked three or four months ago for sponsors uh until the end of the year um we'll probably start looking like beginning of december because i know we've got several of you that really want a spot yeah. and we'll announce prices on our pages and all of that so if you want to be a sponsor if you'd like for us to sponsor your business um if you'd like an ad 
be thinking about that and let us know and uh we'll get you booked yeah um do you want them to go ahead and do that or more towards december we'll, we'll probably start in december because we had a lot last time yeah so. we did yeah but um yeah okay so i guess towards december message us about it yeah okay um so i guess if you want to see the pictures we're talking about um work will post them on instagram and i will post them on facebook which you can find uh the instagram at don't drink the jones juice um you can find the facebook group at uh just for god's sake don't drink the jones juice follow our tiktok um which has a video on there of some of the stuff and that's at don't drink the jones juice buy our merch at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the jones juice we have a lot of cool um new merch designs on there that brooke did herself i forgot to tell you dad ordered one did he yeah, finally he did <laughs> he uh he messaged me like two or three nights ago and he said he got the yellow one of you and i oh that's yeah. so sweet yeah um i was playing among us with ashton the other day and she goes your your face is on my boob and i was like what are you talking about and, and then she was like i'm wearing your shirt that's hilarious and i was like oh okay <laughs> also um we got our shirts from zen expressions and let me just say they so are cute. so cute um and pickup date was supposed to be last friday but um some things came up so tuesday tuesday through no not tuesday wednesday i don't work tuesdays anymore remember oh yeah yeah yeah. wednesday through saturday my bad yeah wednesday through saturday you can come pick it up if you ordered one um i think i might have told somebody tuesday through saturday so if i did it's wednesday through saturday um you can come pick those up they will be waiting at cupid's Lay for you mm-hmm. and i think that's all we have right i think so All right, well, for God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice.